Welcome to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We are recording this episode on Thursday, May 13th, and it will begin airing on Sunday, May 16th. My name is Teresa Robinson, and I'm on air today with my co-hosts, Emily Scott and Jasmine Smith. How's it going, ladies? It's uh, It's been a pretty draining week, I got to say, on all sides. I'm uh, I very feel tired. That. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Did you did you all enjoy your Mother's Day weekend? That was very nice. Yeah. I did okay. get to see yeah, my mom. Yeah, and your okay. mom got a shout out last week. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I traveled to Cincinnati to see my mom as well. So it was Aww. nice to go home and be there with her. All we did was sit in the bed and watch lifetime movies all day. But oh hey. my God. That's what she wanted to do. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, here's your stuff. And I'll lay down yeah. right next to you. So pretty cool That's day for the most part. That's good. Yeah. I'm happy the weather is turning. Like I've been outside or trying to get sun and everything. So mm-hmm. that always makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Warmer days are coming. Next week, we're supposed to hit 70, I think. So here we go. On it to was the next 70 season. today. Oh, was it? Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, I was indoors, so yeah, I, think, I wasn't sure. Right, yeah, this week I think is the 70s starting for sure. I think it's going to be 80 this weekend, maybe. Oh, wow. Uh, not that we're doing weather reports or anything, but... <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, cool. So on the docket this week, uh, we'll be discussing force, a forced labor bus in New Jersey, California's recently hit renewable energy landmark. Liz Cheney's response to being ousted from leadership in the Republican Party and the ongoing violence between Israel and Palestine. So we're going to go ahead and kick off today's episode with our local news. Emily, take it away. All righty. So this story uh, is a little bit of world news mixed in with uh, local news, Um, but um, is definitely local in its own way from New Jersey. So um, it comes from a May 11th New York Times article by Annie Coriel uh, titled Hindu sect is accused of using forced labor to build New Jersey temple. The article explains, quote, federal law enforcement agents descended on a massive temple in New Jersey on Tuesday after workers accused a prominent Hindu sect of luring them from India confining them to the temple grounds and paying them the equivalent of about $1 an hour to perform grueling labor in near servitude. Uh, the sect is called, and pardon me if in advance if I totally mess up this pronunciation, but it's um, Baka, Baka Sanwasi, Akshar, Puru Shotam, Swaminarayan Sansta, but it goes by the shortened BAPS, um, and it quote, has close ties to India's ruling party and has built temples around the world. Uh, A lawsuit was also filed on May 11th on behalf of the workers, the majority of whom are from the lowest caste in India called Dalit. Um, So I wanted to take a moment for a little refresher on what the caste system is, um, because I think it gives a lot, it informs the story, I think, very heavily. Um, So this uh, summary comes from the BBC, quote, Uh, India's caste system is among the world's oldest forms of surviving social stratification. Uh, Quote, the system is generally accepted to be more than 3,000 years old. And for centuries, caste has dictated almost every aspect of Hindu religious and social life, with each group occupying a specific place in this complex hierarchy. Quote, the system bestowed many privileges on the upper caste while sanctioning repression of the lower caste by privileged groups. 
Often criticized for being unjust and regressive, it remained virtually unchanged for centuries, trapping people into fixed social orders from which it was impossible to escape. Um, And another reminder, again, that that's from the BBC. So that is a Western point of view of what that system is. But that doesn't mean that, I mean, so just just take all of that with a grain of salt. I don't know if I need to add any extra commentary beyond that. Um, Anyway, so back to New Jersey. The lawsuit I previously referenced claims, quote, the workers who lived in trailers hidden from view had been pre- had been promised jobs helping to build the temple in rural Robbinsville, New Jersey, with standard work hours and ample time off. Quote, lawyers for the men, however, said they did manual labor on the site, working nearly 13 hours a day, lifting large stones, operating cranes and other heavy machinery, building roads and storm sewers, digging ditches and shoveling snow, all for the equivalent of about $450 per month. They were paid, wow. yeah. They were paid fifty dollars in cash, with the rest deposited in accounts in India. Also, quote the lawsuit said the men's passports had been confiscated, and they were confined to the fenced-in and guarded site, where they were forbidden from talking to visitors and religious volunteers. They subsisted on a bland diet of lentils and potatoes, and their pay was docked for minor violations, such as being seen without a helmet, according to the claim. Uh, the chief executive of BAPS said he respectfully um, disagreed with claims about wages, quote, while noting he was not in charge of day-to-day operations at the site. Shocker. Um, there are also claims that visas were filed under false pretenses, that the workers came on religious visas and they were presented as volunteers um, while they were actually coming to do labor. Quote, at least three federal agencies, the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security, and the Department of Labor were involved in the action early Tuesday, which was said to be connected to the claims of labor and immigration law violations. About 90 workers were removed from the site. Uh, An immigration lawyer in New Jersey named Swati Sawant, uh, quote, uh, said she first learned of the men's plight last year. She said she, she said she secretly organized the temple workers and arranged legal teams to pursue both wage and immigration claims. Um, she is also delete as well. Um, that's from the same cast as them. Uh, a little more background info on what, on stuff going on here from the article. Uh, the building itself already opened in 2014, but construction is ongoing as BAPS, quote, has tried to fulfill its aim of building the largest Hindu temple in the country. Also, quote, with nearly 400,000 Indian-born residents, New Jersey has one of the largest Indian immigrant populations in the country. And, quote, the organization has strong ties with Narendra Modi, uh, India's prime minister, and his ruling Bharatiya Janata Party. The organization also pledged the equivalent of about $290,000 to Mr. Modi's most important election promise, building a temple in the city of Ayodhya, Uh, where a mosque had stood before Hindu devotees destroyed it in 1992. The destruction of the Babri Mosque set off waves of sectarian violence, and the construction of the temple in Ayodhya, Ayodhya, um, apologies for mispronouncing it, um, is a significant step in the quest by Mr. Modi and his party to shift India from its secular foundations toward a Hindu identity. Uh, Quote Daniel Werner, a lawyer in the wage claim suit, said he believed this could be the first forced labor ca- uh, case of its scale in the United States in the United States since dozens of Thai garment workers were discovered laboring in horrible condi- conditions in El Monte, California in 1995, a landmark case that helped lead to the creation of the Federal Trafficking Victims Protection Act. Um, so I'll leave you with one last thing that really stood out for me. Uh, according to a labor named in the lawsuit, Mukesh Kumar, 
Um, another worker had died from an illness last year, and the response from BAPS inspired others to come forward. According to Kumar, quote, we said, we don't want to die like that. Um, and I just thought that was very poignant um, and sad. And um, yeah, a very, a very upsetting story in many ways, but also exciting because um, they fought for their rights and, you know, are keeping fighting for it. But well, I'm glad they got brought to the light because this is some bullshit. I swear this type of stuff happens so often and people don't really talk about it because a lot of times immigrants or people who are in the process to, you know, securing their citizenship or that of their families, they don't speak out and stand up against themselves because they're afraid of the backlash and what's going to happen to them if they do. So many times they need someone to advocate for them because these conditions are inhumane and they should not be made to do that. If for any reason whatsoever, you should not be made to work in harsh conditions, no matter where you are, but especially here when, I mean, come on, this shit is high. It's fucking tough. East coast is, is one of the hardest places to live. So definitely an important story to watch and, and speak out for these people. Yeah. I'm glad that they were able to find an advocate that is like culturally competent as well. Like I think you mentioned their lawyer Mm -hmm. is of the same cast. So like someone that really, not only do you understand, understand the law but like you also understand exactly where they're coming from because it's unfortunate but a lot of times like people that are exploitative will take advantage of that like you're in a new place you might not know people and the only people you know that kind of understand you are the same people taking advantage of you like I can't imagine how like isolating that must be So I'm glad that they were able to find someone that they could, you know, really trust and have confidence in to actually help them. Yeah, that absolutely stood out for me, too. And um, not only did she help them, she said she like just to reemphasize, she said she secretly organized them. Right. So she's she's coming with not only cultural she's coming from from cultural competence from to be able to relate to them and to understand the specifics of what's going on and also the American legal system um, in a way that actually is um, like tangible help right now that they need. So um, I think that um, I, 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 I hope, I think it really goes to show the importance of diversity um, in, in leadership roles, in legal roles, you know, in, and you could expand that to everything in medical roles, all these things, because, um, just like you said, cultural competency, I think, is vital when we're talking about rights across the board. That's a great point, because I think we don't put enough um, focus on cultural competency in the professional realm, wherever you work. Um, I think especially in New York and New Jersey and these coastal cities where it's assumed because the demographic of the city um, is so vast that people automatically, uh, uh, you know, they walk into this with open arms and they appreciate it and they approach it with this openness. But the reality is there's a step missing. There's not the education there unless you make it your business to learn about other cultures and take some time to study them uh, and be more aware of the plight of their lives, what they're dealing with, then being effective in helping them can be very challenging. And I think a lot of people who do Uh, civil rights and human rights work or who want to specifically um, are often turned on, turned off from those challenges. You know, if you don't have resources to help you provide 
you can't fix their problems the way you would fix yours. It's absolutely a different context and um, so many more things to consider. So very good point. All right, that was a great story and a great segment. Thank you so much, Emily, for that. We're gonna go ahead and hop into our first music break today. Uh, we have a great jazz throwback. This is Freddie Hubbard with Red Clay. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now we'll go into our national news segment. Uh, This story comes from CNN.com and the title is Cheney on Trump. He's going to unravel the democracy to come back into power. It was written by Kristen Wilson and Daniela Diaz. Representative Liz Cheney is outlining her next steps in the aftermath of her ousting from leadership in the Republican Party. She lost her post in the House Republican lead, as the House Republican leader on Wednesday after publicly rejecting for months Trump's lie that he won the 2020 presidential election and calling out formal president calling out the former president for his role in inciting the January 6th deadly riot on the Capitol. The House GOP conference ousted Cheney by voice vote during a 16-minute meeting and she's likely to be replaced by Republican Representative Elise Stainfanik of New York. The Wyoming Congresswoman and now former House Republican Conference Chair also didn't rule out a run for president in the Today Show interview that aired this morning with Savannah Guthrie. But she did confirm that she will run for re-election for her U.S. House seat next year. Cheney said, quote, silence is not an option when speaking out against Trump. And she also said Admonishments from her fellow Republicans to move forward are not possible because the damage that the former president is causing is an ongoing threat. The daughter of the former vice president, Dick Cheney, reiterated her assertion Wednesday that Trump cannot become president again. Cheney also said that she is very focused on making sure that the party becomes again a party that stands for truth and stands for fundamental principles that are conservative and mostly stands for the Constitution And she said, I won't let the former president or anybody else unravel the democracy, whatever it takes. She called for the former president's hold on the party. She said that the former president's hold on the party was very dangerous and a cult of personality. She also pressed fellow Republicans to embrace a bipartisan January 6th commission to get to the truth of what happened on that day and that there should be no reason why there should be any resistance. She said he's unfit. He never again can be anywhere near the Oval Office. More of her sentiments are as follows. 
I intend to be a leader, one of the leaders in the fight to help restore our party and warning that the former president, Donald Trump, is willing to unravel the democracy to come back into power. For reasons that I don't understand, leaders in my party have decided to embrace the former president who launched that attack. And I think you've watched over the course of the last several months, the former president get more aggressive, more vocal, pushing that lie. And I think that's really important for people to understand. This isn't about looking backwards. This is about the real time current potential damage that he's doing and that he continues to do. And she finally added, it's an ongoing threat. So silence is not an option. Um, so that is the end of my my story, my coverage. Uh, I did watch the interview this morning with Savannah Guffrey. Uh, very interesting. Ladies, what do you think about this? Um, I think it, it's very interesting as well. I think we um, rarely have the opportunity to agree <laughs> with Republicans um, on this show in our personal lives. And I think it's very interesting to have not only a Republican that we're like, she's right, but also like um, Dick Cheney's right? daughter of all people. <laughs> like, and he was, he was not a good person. I don't, history is not, will not reflect well on that man and already does not. Um, so it, yeah, very interesting. I think it just goes to show that the le- there's levels of, of bad behavior of w- worse than bad behavior, but I, you know, I'm at a loss for words. I mean, it's it's very disturbing. And I I worry because I think what she's saying makes sense that, you know, the people that have decided to basically pledge that they're going to be loyal to this man, no matter what, to the end, like it's it's very frightening, like what they're capable of, what they encourage their followers, Mm -hmm. their followers to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also feel that there's that um I don't know who first said it but the person that made that joke it's not really a joke about the the leopards that eat faces it's like I voted for that party but I didn't think a leopard would eat my face it's like if you're a part of it's like not fully understanding like how far certain people are willing to go and like eventually like they are going to be willing to turn on you or treat you badly as well like it's it's almost like people never really realize that until it's too late no I totally agree I was uh telling Emily as we were setting up for the show today this is probably one of the first times that I clearly listened um, to a Republican speak about anything. And that's quite honestly, just because a lot of times I just get so angry uh, with the things that I hear. It just seems surreal. Um, but what I can say is I was empowered um, to hear her as a woman stand out on a ledge and take a risk. You know, I'm sure she's totally jeopardized her the future of her career because of the stance that she is taking, which she knew about. But I appreciate her honesty and upfrontness about how she feels is very targeted and very specific. Um, while she does, she clearly said in the interview, if you watch it, she doesn't agree with all the moves that Biden and his administration is making. She is definitely a conservative. This is one thing that she feels is more important in to protecting the people of this country to keep them, that man away from the oval and keep him away from the party It's to a point now where they're speaking of the Republican party splitting and now being a three party system, because there's so many that are in support of Trump still. Um, and that is dividing the party. Um, and it, it's obviously very clear that people are not going to speak out now 
people are not going to do what they have to do now because they're too busy trying to regain power or whatever they're trying to do, that they're not actually being politicians. They're not being, well, they're being politicians, but not the stand up people that we expect them to be. Um, so, you know, more power to her. You know, I'm not saying I'm a, a fan, but I do appreciate her standing out on the ledge and, you know, taking one for the people because it sounds like she's very serious and very direct about her plans and she's going to do it from the bottom or the top. So shout out to you, boo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um walking back a little. I mean, both both points you and Jasmine just made about how um disturbing it is like the whole like the whole umbrella of the events that unfolded that it's because the party is refusing <laughs> to admit that Trump lost the election like like full on conspiracy theories that and I mean we've known this has been going on for a while but um to see the extent to which the denial is happening like he's not even it's sad anymore. And- um and and you're still deferring to this um like uh, demigod right like it, it's very scary like he can he can do no wrong in the eyes of these people which is um how you get um well cult leaders <laughs> basically first of all but but worse than cult leaders um dictators you know it's very scary yeah i mean i wonder how much she feels in danger for her life you exactly know, because these people were mm. They were going after Pence. They've been going after Romney, like threatening these people with like people that you would think are on their side. Absolutely. So especially her being a woman. Right. Now speaking out against them. Like, I'm pretty sure she probably has gotten her fair share of death threats and things like this because the opposition is truly unhinged. Yeah, I think one of the things that stood out about her interview was, you know, Savannah's like, are you going to plan to run for president or what are you going to do? And she was very clear, like, you know, it, that's not necessarily what I have to do to do this. But she was not afraid to say, yes, I'm going to run for reelection and I don't think I'm going to have a problem doing so. Um, that level of confidence in doing the right thing, if you will, is admirable. And it's not easy to stand strong behind your convictions. But this is not just her convictions. This is the convictions of the Constitution that she is trying to uphold, um, which I think was, you know, different to hear out of the mouth of a Republican. Um, on yeah, absolutely. <laughs> very God. different, very different. So I just wanted to bring some light to that. And be, we'll see how it trembles down. But um, yeah, speak out when you can. And uh protect yourself because it's not easy to stand up for what's right. Yeah. And speak up as early as you can before it then like morphs into a monstrosity, you know, cause I, I think if more people were saying what she's saying earlier on, perhaps we wouldn't be where we're at. Exactly. Exactly. Good point. All right. So we're going to go ahead and pop it to our next music break. This song is called What Do You Say? Move It Baby. And it's by Damien Jr. Gong featuring Common, Damien Marley and PJ Morton. We'll be right back. Now when it's Common called Common featuring PJ, alongside Gong Silla, your favorite DJ. Do you say that heaven when it have 
Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now we'll jump right into our international news segment. Jasmine, you're up. Hello. So this week, um, I wanted to talk about one particular issue, and then the situation has escalated quickly in the past few days. So a little over a week ago, I want to say, I saw a video from a news outlet, and it showed a man like a Jewish man with a very American like Brooklyn accent like trying to take over a home from his neighbor who knew him by name and basically saying you know I'm going you know if I don't take the house somebody else is going to take the house and that was the first um, that I heard about what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah so that's S-H-E-I-K-H second name J-A-R-R-A-H. And then I started to see um, hashtags about saving Sheikh Jarrah everywhere on social media. So this information, um, I pulled it from multiple sources from Al Jazeera, NPR, The Guardian, and also Reuters. So first off, like I didn't know what Sheikh Jarrah was. Um, So Sheikh Jarrah is an area in East Jerusalem, which is about 500 Um, yards from the Damascus Gate of the old city, which is a walled city within Jerusalem. And most of the homes in this area are inhabited by Palestinians. Um, Israel seized the old city and the rest of East Jerusalem in the adjacent West Bank in a 1967 war. And it seized Jerusalem as the capital of the country, including this area called Sheikh Jarrah which contains a site that's um, seen by some religious Jews as the tomb of an ancient high priest. Um, Palestinians have been living in this area since they were rehoused there in the 1950s by Jordan after fleeing or being forced to abandon their homes in West Jerusalem and Haifa during the fighting around Israel's creation in 1948. Uh, There have been Israeli settlers that have moved into some of the properties And the claim is that they were owned previously by Jewish people before the 1948 Israeli-Arab War that followed the end of the British mandate for Palestine. Um, So what's happening most currently is there's Palestinian families that are facing eviction from their homes in order to make room for uh, more Israeli settlers. Um, So after Israel's occupation of East Jerusalem in 1967, settler groups have had multiple legal battles to try to take over the area. Um, There's a lower Israeli court that found in favor of the settlers under a law that allows Jews to reclaim ownership of property lost in 1948. 
However, there's no such law that entitles Palestinians to do the same in West Jerusalem or other parts of Israel. Um, so 43 Palestinians were forced out of Sheikh Jarrah in 2002, others again in 2008 and in 2017, and their homes were taken over. Um, currently, there's about six uh, Palestinian families trying to stay in their houses. Um, and I believe the total number that are going to be affected is in the 40s. So it's not just six, but there's like more people that are facing these eviction orders. And protests against these evictions have been going on since the beginning of the month. Um, this past Monday, which was the 10th, uh, violent clashes in Jerusalem escalated. And unfortunately, at least 20 people, including nine children, were killed by Israeli airstrikes that were launched after Palestinian militant groups fired rockets close to Jerusalem. So this information is coming from um, Reuters. Um, there were confrontations in the early morning hours at the Al-Aqsa Mosque in the heart of Jerusalem's walled old city on the compound known to Jews as Temple Mount and to Muslims as the Noble Sanctuary. Um, according to the Palestine Red Crescent Society, more than 300 Palestinians were injured in clashes with Israeli police who fired rubber bullets, stun grenades, and tear gas into the compound. Um, if you've been following things at all on social media, like some of the images of the mosque like being raided are pretty disturbing. Um, according to Israeli police, 21 officers were hurt in the skirmishes. The upsurge in violence came as Israel celebrated what's called Jerusalem Day, which marks its capture of East Jerusalem in the 1967 Arab-Israeli War. Um, there was an effort to change the route of the Jer Jerusalem Day March, in which like, there's often thousands of young Jewish people that go through the old city near the gate. Um, but there were also other like brewing tensions because of what's happening at Sheikh Jarrah on top of this march that many Palestinians consider to be deliberately provocative. And then also tension around the evictions. Like it was just a lot going on, especially considering that we're currently um, or were in the month of Ramadan, which just ended today. Um, so the Hamas, which is the Islamist fundamentalist group that controls Gaza, wanted for Israel to remove its police from Al-Aqsa and the Sheikh Jarrah area by 6 p.m., but that did not happen. Um, marchers for Jerusalem Day were diverted toward Jaffa Gate. There were sirens sounding that alerted Israelis to rockets that were coming in from Gaza which forced the marchers and other Israelis to flee for cover. Um, Israel responded like with the airstrikes. And as of right now, the last thing that I read was that they are now starting like a ground invasion of Gaza, like on Eid, which is the final night of Ramadan. So it's a rapidly developing situation. It's a very distressing situation. Um, so yeah, what started out to me from what, what, from what I understood at the very beginning, like, oh, wow, like these are 
families being displaced, it just seems to just be like ballooning more and more. And the fact that it's happening during um, the holy month of Ramadan is just making everything even more like disturbing. Yeah. Um, I have like lost sleep this week um, personally over all of the stuff going on. Um, I, I do want to add a fact. I think right before we started recording, I'm not sure if you said it or not. I, I saw like the New York Times alert that the head of the Israeli military said they had entered Gaza, but then he clarified like 20 minutes later or something that they hadn't, they they were attacking on the ground, but had not actually entered Gaza. So just to like, just so is this factually accurate up until recording as of Thursday, by the time this airs Sunday, there may be more information out there specifically. Um, and, and who knows, I mean, if that really is a meaningful differential either, but it's just, it was an update that the times felt the need to, to make anyway. Um, so yeah, um, there's just, it's, I want to pref, uh, what do I want to say? I want to preface this by saying so many things. Um, first of all, Israel absolutely has so much more power in this situation, um, and with that power comes the responsibility to de-escalate things as much as possible. Um, and there are people in power in Israel who, um, there, there's a right-wing element in power and there are right-wing people in Israel who are looking, like the settlers, for example, who are looking to, um, who see the Palestinians as the enemy. Um, but that is not everyone in Israel. And I think it's been a very upsetting week, um, for Jews around the world, because I think, um, there is a, for Israel, I think, I think for most countries in the world, people have no problem separating civilians from their government, right? Governments, people in power around the world do horrible things all the time, but Israel, um, and you did not do this, Jasmine, by the way. I think you did a really great recap that also reflected how how layered these histories are. Um, and anyone who tells you that it's not complicated um, because they read two Instagram infographics um, is willfully being willfully ignorant of literally thousands of years of history and conflict. <laughs> um, and it, it's very upsetting um, to see that happening on social media. And I absolutely believe social media is adding to the violence going on. Um, when violence happens in these scenarios, everyone loses. Um, when Palestinians are losing their homes and don't have, um, are not living in just conditions, everyone loses. Um, I think there's also so much misinformation on the internet, again, because people um, have come to believe that they can learn about this in by reading two infographics, right? Um, they seem, everyone, there, there's, there's a very contentious element on both sides. Um, there's, there's also absolutely people who want peace on both sides. Um, people will read an infographic with a very strong point of view and believe everything that's in it without stopping to think, um, where's this information coming from? Does it actually reflect the whole picture or are they choosing the facts that reflect the narrative that they want to tell? Right. Because, um, whenever you jump into this conflict, wherever you jump into it, whatever point you start at will make it seem obvious to you who the villain is and who the um, the oppressed person is. And that will change depending on where in history you start literally going back 
dozens, tens, a hundred, a thousand years. Um, and anyone again, who is, is ignore is being willfully ignorant if they don't say that that's true. I also want to go back and say one more time that Israel with the power is right now absolutely has the responsibility to, um, and the, the, the ability to create peace. Um, actually, I actually want to walk the board ability back because I actually don't think I have enough, um, information myself. Cause I, again, have never lived there. Um, but as from, I think they have the responsibility to that. They are not using responsibly, um, to, they have the power that they're not using responsibility to rectify the situation for everyone there. Um, again, I want to emphasize also the amount of misinformation and the amount of, um, anti-Semitism I've seen online. Um, and it's very scary for Jews around the world. Um, violence goes up around the world against Jews when shit goes down in Israel. Um, it's very scary, um, for a lot of people right now. Um, yeah, I'm, I've been talking a long time, so I'll let someone else talk. I think you made a good point about misinformation. Um, and you really do have to dig and, uh, become a scholar over a period of time, because as you said, depending on when you check in, the story is, you know, being told from a different perspective. Um, but I think what's important now is, as you said, whomever has the power to stop the violence, that needs to be the first thing on the agenda. It seems as though it's ballooning because no one is looking to do so. Um, and that is very harmful to everyone. Um, I do, however, just, you know, for a moment, want us to consider that this problem is not as different as some things that we see here. It has layers, it is complicated, but at the end of the day, these are people. These are people with families and homes and history on both sides. And if you are living in a place where there is war, that is not what you want. No matter who you serve, who your God is, or what you believe, you don't want violence in your home. Um, and so, you know, just tread lightly when having these discussions, but also be mindful that the the status can change at, at any moment. And the most we can do is have conversation, have dialogue, be supportive and not share information that's going to taint the story uh, based on how you're feeling at the moment. People have the right to feel however they want, but the reality is in order for any conflict to be de-escalated, there has to be a lot of listening there has to be accountability, but there also has to be leadership based on humanity and humanity first. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, um, like just, I'll be completely transparent. Like I do feel that, you know, like if we only talked on this show about things that happen in places where we lived or where we were experts in every detail going back, until the beginning of time, like we wouldn't have a show, you know, so like we do talk about a lot of things um, without necessarily having all of that background or all of that personal experience, but we kind of have an idea or we do our best to kind of look into what's going on and like form as an informed opinion as we can. And I do feel like it's obviously wrong and it's unacceptable whenever people will conflate a religion and like a global diaspora with a government's actions. 
Like that's always wrong. I will say though, that I find it upsetting when some people will, they will accuse people of having done that when that has not been done. Like when a person says, like, I do not agree with Israel doing X, Y, and Z for someone then to then claim that you said something against Jewish people as a way to sort of stop the discussion. I really don't, like that, that needs to end because it's dishonest. Like, yes, there are some people that do that because they are anti-Semitic, but it's really not fair and it's not productive. Like when people try to shut down discussion on that basis, like preemptively. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely agree with that, Jasmine. I think um, for many Jews and um, there is an, an, it's, it's, I don't know how far into this to get just because, you know, I also, this wasn't, I'm Jewish, so I'm bringing the Jewish perspective. And I think it maybe unfairly balances what we're talking about in that direction when there is a whole other side here. Um, I think though, but speaking about anti-Semitism, which is obviously very important to me, um, I think that's absolutely right. And I think, unfortunately, however, there is also, um, anti-Semitism is like, is known as one of the oldest hatreds in the world because it literally has existed for thousands of years, right? Like before many other forms of hatred that we know today. Um, and it comes in many, many forms. And one of those forms is, um, gaslighting Jews and telling them they are not oppressed. Right. So unfortunately, while you are right in, in the purest sense of the word that we should absolutely be able to, um, criticize the government in Israel, um, the way that is phrased and termed um, often comes with a denial of the Jewish people's right to their homeland um, and also conflates Israeli citizens with the government and maybe not intentionally, um, but the language that people use is very important in this context because it is so complex of a system. So um, I think people will say, oh, you're accusing me of being anti-Semitic, but I'm just saying X, Y, Z. But it's like, well, maybe the language you used is anti-Semitic, even if you don't think or know how that is, because it's so complex. But it's, and but I'm not saying you're wrong either, right? People should be able to have these conversations and there are many people that are not willing to. Um, But again, nothing about this is simple or straightforward. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, like the world is a complex place, you know, like, you have to be able to tell the difference between a person that is saying something like in good faith Mm -hmm. versus someone that is like, it's just completely in bad. It's like based on like very little, Mm -hmm. it's just automatically presumed that you are saying something Mm anti-Semitic, which I don't, I don't agree with that. You know, it's like I would never claim that. I don't feel that, um, like, obviously Jewish people are oppressed and have been for a long time. And as with any other group of people, like, we're all still human beings. Like, we can all be, like, the victim of something and also the perpetrator Mm -hmm. of something, Mm -hmm. you know. So we have to be able to be open about these things that are happening instead of feeling like, because you're afraid of being like labeled, you're just going to be like, well, I just, I'm just not going to speak about this issue at all. Mm -hmm. You know? 
Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it goes both ways. I personally have also been afraid to speak about things, um, speak about the anti-Semitism I've been seeing in response to all of this, because I have seen an intense amount of vitriol against Jews on social media. Um, and I think it, it's hard to convey like the, the way anti-Semitism is like built into the fabric of like our society, like in a way that like, I think many Jews don't even realize, um, because of the power of assimilation and all this stuff. It's just, it's, it has existed for so long across the globe, um, literally everywhere on the planet, um, that it's, I think it it is when someone says you're being anti-Semitic, I think, I mean, social media, it's like, you can't actually have a conversation with someone, right? Like, I think, I think I'm personally going to take a break from social media. It's, it's becoming, I think it's fanning, fanning the flames, um, on this literally, I really do. Um, I think having these conversations with people is important. And if, and ask why, if someone tells you you're being anti-Semitic, try asking them why, right? Like, why am I being anti-Semitic and really get to that, right? I think there's a lot of collective trauma for Jewish people. Um, and that will create a lot of defensiveness that should be talked about and broken down, but also they may be able to pinpoint what it is you said that's anti-Semitic, right? And I think, that's also an opportunity. To, I think it's an opportunity for everyone to learn um, more. Yeah, it can be. And, you know, I, I agree with you that it is something that um, it's like the linchpin for a lot of other forms of bigotry, especially like when you talk about like white nationalism mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But what I'm saying is, as with anything, there are definitely people that will take something that's absolutely legitimate Mm-hmm. and then manipulate it or like use it as like a rhetorical thing. Yeah. I think that's true. I think but I also think um it's Jew anti-semitism is one of the only things where if someone called you that you would say I think you're making that up. I don't think you're right. I don't think any other person if you said if any other minority if they accused you of um of being racist or whatever, you know, against them, would you say like at least from I think, I think just, just everyone should check that. Like what, if I use, if someone from another, um, ethno religion or another, you know, um, marginalized community called me out, would I immediately fight back or would I take the time to step back and reevaluate? Yeah. I mean, I think most people would be defensive. Like that happens a lot where people Mm -hmm. are like, that didn't happen because of your race or your religion. It was just this other thing. And it is a time to reflect. Mm -hmm. And again, but I also agree with what you're saying. I do think um, many Jews are um, are unwilling to have the conversations um, and to that defensiveness also creates an environment where, you know, defending Israel um, and being unwilling to criticize the government. But I'd say, I, I mean, as Americans, we are also like the lived experience of the people there is so different um, than what American Jews and other Americans know. Um, So I think it's important to have these conversations while also listening to the actual voices of the people that are there, Um, like actual citizens and not just government figures. Yes. And and I agree with you. That's why I was trying to make the point that 
while this is something that's happening in, in another country, it is a different experience that we may not have had firsthand experiences with. It's not as it's not so different that we can't understand the humanitarian, the human human air point of contact here for both Jews and Palestinians. Um, Cause if this was happening in our neighborhood, we wouldn't want violence either. And I think a lot of times people forget that these are governments and armies and all these different, um, you know, uh, organizations, if you will, that are controlling this. And what we get from the international community is what they allow. But being on the ground, there is a different experience. And I'm sure there are Jews and, and Palestinians that live in peace collectively and want the best for each other as well. I'm sure they want that, just like I want the best for my neighbor. Yeah, and I, th- I think like social media can be overwhelming. And I don't like these corporations, I feel are ultimately a lot of them are very evil in what they're able to perpetuate. Yep. <laughs> but there's also the other side of that is there are like there's Palestinian people. I'm sure there's um, people who are living in Israel who are Jewish, mm-hmm. like that are then able to show video of what's happening to them and talk about it in a way that maybe they couldn't like if they had to go through yeah. like a newspaper or something, you know. I actually, I don't disagree with that, Jasmine. I think you are right. I think my, when I say social media is fanning this, I I think I mean more specifically that I have seen so many um, very scary and almost um, like ahistorical like infographics that have gone like fully viral. Like there's one that Bella Hadid shared that said Jews, Muslims, and Christians were all living in peace until Israel was formed, which is such a lot. Like that is like, it was, I mean, first of all, it was literally a colony. It was literally a British colony. and if that's how you believe the world should be, like, it's just, it's just such a denial of actual facts and history. And people are sharing this like wildfire because they see someone famous share, like no one's vetting this information. Um, and no one has any, there was no fat, there was no like sources to back that up. Right. So I'm seeing stuff like that. And it's very scary because it is clearly a biased point of view looking to demonize Jews. <laughs> um, and that a lot of that's out there. And of course, of course, like I am hyper aware of that. And I believe that there's, and uh, there's, probably a lot of propaganda um, against Palestinians as well. Um, it's just not something that I've been seeking out or have seen based on the people that I follow. Um, so I'm not denying that that exists either. Um, so again, just 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 check your sources, I think is what I mean before you share something, um, especially in this case. Yeah, like the infographic industrial complex kind of needs yeah. to go. It's like they're good for some things, but with other things, not so much. So, like, I'll definitely be putting up, like, links and stuff on our social cool. media, like, so mm-hmm. that you can read more, because it's important to not be ignorant, mm-hmm. you know, like, you have to educate yourself. It's not good enough to just say, like, well, that's above my whatever, like, take the time and make the effort. So whatever, like, you can form an informed opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll do our best to help you along with that. And I also want to add to, like, ask yourself who is providing this information and what point of, is there a narrative that they're trying to get across when they do that? And I think that happens across all sides. And I think constantly asking yourself that question is very important right now. And is also like always important. Um, just with that, the back of your mind, whenever you're reading something about it. Thank you so much for that recap, Jasmine, and that fruitful discussion, I think is something we all need. And Emily, if you can please grace us with the good news on this good Sunday. 
Absolutely. All right. So this story comes from an April 29th Los Angeles Times piece by Sammy Roth titled California just hit 95, 95% renewable energy. Um, will other states come along for the ride? Um, Quote, something remarkable happened over the weekend. California hit nearly 95% renewable energy. I'll say that again, 95% renewables. Yeah. For all the time we spend talking about how to reach 100% clean power, it sometimes seems like a faraway proposition, whether the time frame is is California's 2045 target or President Biden's more aggressive 2035 goal. But on Saturday, just before 2.30 p.m., one of the world's largest economies came within a stone's throw of getting there. Um, So when they say Saturday, that was like back in the end of April. Um, So there are definitely some caveats as well that the author of the story points out. Um, Saturday's 94.5 figure, a record as confirmed uh, to the author says me, this is not me, Emily, the writer said that, Um, the writer confirmed that um, with the California independent system operator. Uh, was fleeting, lasting uh, just four seconds. It was specific to the state's main power grid, which covers four-fifths of California, but doesn't include Los Angeles, Sacramento, and several other regions. And it came at a time of year defined by abundant sunshine and relatively cool weather, meaning it's easier for renewable power to do the job traditionally done by fossil fuels. Quote, the 94.5 record may have been fleeting, but it wasn't some isolated spike. Most of Saturday afternoon, the renewables number topped 90%, with solar and wind farms doing the bulk of the work and geothermal biomass and hydropower facilities making similar contributions. Add in the Diablo Canyon nuclear plant, which isn't counted towards California's renewable mandate, renewables mandate, And there was enough climate-friendly power at times Saturday to account for more than 100% of the state's electricity needs. Um, So there's still a lot of work to go and problems to be solved with all of this. This is me, Emily, again speaking. Um, For example, last summer, there were actually rolling blackouts during hot nights, um, which I imagine is from the strained power grid, right, because of the extra use of air conditioning after dark when additional solar energy can't be generated. Um, So they definitely have stuff to figure out, but this is... I mean, in my opinion, it's definitely good news. And I think gives me a lot of hope that um, just like the article said, like those daunting um, goals can actually be reached. That's right. It can be done. So let's do it, people. Um, Shout out to California, my second favorite state. Anyway, we're going to move on. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Objection to the Rule. Uh, that's it for this week's show. You can catch all of our older episodes on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org or Radio Free Brooklyn on the Radio Free Brooklyn app or on Spotify. Listen up for more independent Brooklyn media. We're going to play you out with our final track of the day. This one is called Swing Praxis and it's by a really dope artist named Anthony Joseph. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. In which, considering the lack of a truly beautiful, violent revolution, 
We establish ourselves as mediums for change, change which must accumulate to maximum impact and speed like rhythm and rhythm is a unit of meaning, of feeling, of being. And there are ways to withstand sustained conflict, but guns are the teeth of democracy. Yeah. Swing Brexit. We must not easily be possessed by what is just the crudest element of a given plan. Either we vote or protest or tremble or march or fight, but either way it will soon be hard to be cool and black at the same time. Swing praxis. Swing. It is self-evident that we stand at the edge of a great victory of which we are confident that we have been wounded in battle Turn back now, so go on, go on. Bring fire music with harmonic cycles and emperative, and we will navigate the fear of death. Go deep in the jungles of deceit and concrete and see how we are murdered on these streets. Or be real and go back to the old country. Go down in the valley and see how my people have built such beautiful homes in the dirt. See how only secular sound and the mutability and resilience of black spirituality can liberate them from history. Swing Praxis. Swing Praxis. Thank <laughs> you. 